Father in heaven, I am so thankful for another day of life, and more than that, Lord, the spiritual life that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, many of us sit here today with a knowledge of Christ and don't half appreciate it for what it is and don't realize what it's like for so many who don't know him and don't know how to know him. So, Lord, as we've come here to learn how to be your witnesses, we pray the Holy Spirit that came upon that early church would come upon us, Lord, and would give us an understanding on how to win souls for Jesus. This is our prayer in his name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to go with me to Matthew 28. Some of the things covered this week I know are going to be, there are going to be some things that are repetitive because I know there's this whole um, class on the Gospel Commission, so I'm not going to break down Matthew 28, but I do want to reference it and say a few things about it. Matthew 28, verse 18. This is the most popular, probably, uh, um, text but not the only text about the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus spoke, let's start with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, there's so much I want to say, but I'm not going to. It will be said this week. Um, the New King James says, make disciples. The King James Version says, uh, go teach. And literally, it means to teach a person what it means to be a disciple. I say that because that comes, and then baptism comes, and then there's more teaching that comes. And there are, there are people in our church today, in the Seventh-day Adventist church today, that say, you know, why all this teaching before baptism? Well, because Jesus said to. Amen. That should be a good reason. But some people have forgotten that. But what he says there, in, and I like it specifically, again, in the New King James, says, go make disciples, or teach them to be disciples. And how many of you have heard this before, go make, this, this passage? I mean, I don't know if most... I don't know, if, I really don't know many Christians who haven't heard Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go make disciples. But I will tell you this, there's a great misunderstanding as to what a disciple is. And I want to just take a moment to look at it, because this is the commission. Incidentally, this commission, if you have read this in the book, if you haven't read the book, Go Teach All Nations in Desire of Ages, I'd encourage you to do that. In that chapter, it's very clear that this commission was not given just to the 11 that were there present at the time but that this commission belongs to everyone who is a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so it's your commission. It's my commission. The Lord has commissioned us to make disciples. Well, you know, if you're told to make something, it's helpful to know what it is you're making. And if you're not clear, and I'm not clear on what a disciple is, then how do we know that we're doing it? And so I want to take a little time this morning in looking at what the Bible says a disciple is. Now, I don't have a handout for this. This is fine. You've got the handout. It's your Bible. We're going through texts here for the most part, just looking at different passages in Scripture about discipleship. Uh, we are going to use a handout for our next um, class, and you, you, many of you have that, and if you don't, we'll get you one, and you can follow along. But we're going to start. Let me ask this question. Do you think there's a difference between a 
Christian and a disciple. Okay? Let me ask the follow-up question. Should there be? Okay. So, so if, if we're saying there is and there shouldn't be, then what is the difference that we see if we say, if you are one who says, yeah, I see a difference between a Christian and a disciple, what is the difference that you see? Okay? So I kind of picked up that a Christian, and I'm sorry, a, a disciple is an active Christian. Right? That's, that's kind of where... But you know, biblically, there is no such distinction. And I want you to see that in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11. Now, there's a backstory to this that I'm not giving you right now, but I want you to notice that uh, they're building up the church in Antioch. And Barnabas is there with the church members. They're having a lot of success there. And uh, so much so, he wants to go get Paul in on the action. And so in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas, Acts chapter 11, verse 25, are you guys there? Amen. All right. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the who? were first called in Antioch. Who were the disciples? The Christians. Who were the Christians? The disciples. In fact, it's interesting here. Now, some of you may know this, but the Methodist church, the Methodists, the early Methodists, did not call themselves the Methodists. They were called the Methodists by other people, and it was a slur because they had a method for everything. John Wesley had been convicted about the importance of holiness, of living, and so he was careful in his life because he wanted to honor God. And they said, hey, you got a method for everything. You guys are a bunch of Methodists. And the name stuck. Well, evidently this happened with the early church, only they were called Christians. It says they were called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. Why would you call somebody a Christian? Man, all you ever talk about is Christ this and Christ that. You're a bunch of Christians. Amen. Oh, that that would be why people called us Christians today. Amen. Amen? So there's not a biblical distinction between a Christian and a disciple. So what is it to be a disciple? Let's look at some passages. We're going to Luke chapter 6. We're just going to look at a handful of disciple passages in the Bible. Now, before we read in Luke 6, open your Bible to Luke 6. We're going to Luke 640. Before we read this, um, I want to step out of the realm of Christianity for a minute, okay? Out of the realm of religion. We're stepping out of religion, so I don't want a religious answer, okay? That's what I mean by that. I don't, I'm not telling you to not be a Christian for a minute. I'm saying I don't want a religious answer for this question because the word disciple is not limited to Christianity. No. What, in the general sense does the word disciple mean? When you think disciple, what is a disciple? Okay, you're pretty consistent. They're a follower, a follower of somebody. Is there anything more to it? Why does a disciple follow somebody? To learn what? Okay, to learn of that person so they can what? Be like them, right? Okay, now that's an understanding that not just Christians have of disciple. That's, you hear a disciple, and you're like, oh yeah, a disciple's a follower of somebody, probably wanting to be like that person. Okay, this is what you see in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. 
The Bible says this, Jesus is speaking here. He says, a disciple is not what? Above his teacher, and already has implied the teacher-disciple relationship. You can't have a disciple without a teacher, because the disciple's following the teacher, the master. A disciple, I just lost my place for a minute. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So right there, the implication is a disciple, and this just fits with a common understanding of disciple, is somebody who wants to be like their teacher. They're following somebody for the purpose of emulating that somebody, of becoming like that somebody. They want to learn their habits, they want to learn their ways so that they can become like that, okay? This is what Jesus says about discipleship. Now let's go to Luke chapter 5, because we're in the Gospel of Luke, and look at verse 9. Now this is, I, I got to go a little bit, give a little bit of backstory on this. This is an interesting passage because... Um, you understand that Jesus didn't start out with 12 disciples. He called one here. He called one there. Jesus wasn't hindered when he didn't have 12 disciples. He didn't say, I can't do any work. I don't have any disciples. There's a lesson in that from the master, right? Because we go back to our churches and you're going to be like, man, I'm excited. I'm on fire. And I'm just going to tell you this. I haven't told you this yet. You're going to be on fire after this week. I guarantee you. And it's not because of anything we're doing. It's because the Spirit of God, it's the time we live in in this earth's history, and the Spirit of God is going to stir your heart, and you're just going to be an on-fire disciple. And you're going to be tempted to go back to your church and say, I can't do anything, I don't have any helpers. The master didn't do that. He didn't start with 12. He was out there working. He'd find one, he'd call them, and he'd find one, he'd call them. God's going to lay on your heart names of people in your congregations that you can call to help out. In one of my churches here in Michigan, I had, uh, uh, we started some training well, I have to, I'll, I'll try to give you the short story here, but I, we started some training. We, we were getting ready for an evangelistic series, and so we wanted to go out and find interest in the community. So we went knocking on doors, and, and I did a little training, and we go out knocking on doors and trying to find interest on Sabbath afternoons. And initially, I thought, I really don't want to overburden anybody. Um, you know, people don't like to come out, and I want to make it as easy as possible. So I said, let's do this. We'll, we'll uh, come to church, and then, you know, go home for lunch or whatever else, and then we'll come back. No, 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 how did I do that? I had it to where, um, yeah, we'd come back at like 3 o'clock and maybe spend an hour or what have you. The problem is when people go home from church, you know how this works. Yeah, they they don't come back. It's lay activities are not of the not of the good kind. So, right, a hike to the springs. Um, you heard that one before? The bed springs. I don't know. It doesn't work with foam mattresses anymore. I guess we're getting away from that. But anyway, to get them back is difficult. And anyway, in the in the in this, this whole situation, the Lord really impressed me. I'll tell you what happened. The story of Gideon came to my mind. And I thought, you know, here's this. And, and, and the story of Gideon communicated to me that you're trying to make this too easy. And I don't need people who are looking for easy to be soul winners. And that's just what came, came to my mind and, and how, how it communicated to me. Because, you know, in the story of Gideon, God calls this man Gideon to go out to battle. 
And, you know, Gideon was hiding from the enemy, and he was threshing wheat and what have you. And, of course, God comes up to him and calls him what? You remember what he called him? There he is threshing wheat in a hiding place. And the Lord says, mighty man of valor. I'm going to say, God, God sees a mighty man and woman of valor in you guys today. That's why you're here. You're not here because you looked at a seminar and said, hey, I think maybe this is something I need. It's the, the Lord brought you to this because he's going to take you to some other experience that's just absolutely incredible. He saw in Gideon the qualities he needed. And he called him, you mighty man of valor, I'm going to have you go out and you're going to lead my armies, right? And so Gideon gathers all the people together, 32,000 of them. What's interesting is, if I have my figures right, it's been a while since I've studied it, I think the Midianites, you can, the Bible doesn't give an exact number, but you can piece it together, had somewhere around 135,000. So when you're going to battle, and you're not talking conventional weapons where you're sitting in a room and pushing buttons on missiles and stuff, you're going out with swords and, 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 and spears and horses and chariots, and you're 32,000 against 135,000, that's not good odds, right? I mean, you've got... One guy for every four in hand-to-hand -hand combat. No, that's not so great. But Gideon's going to go anyway, which is fantastic. I mean, he's ready. Knees are knocking, but he's going to go. And the Lord says, you remember what the Lord says to Gideon? You got too many guys. I mean, just put yourself there for a minute. You got what? No, I'm sorry, Lord. Did I hear you right? Yeah, you got too many guys. Tell everybody who is faint-hearted. I mean, Gideon's like, that's me, right? I mean, he's nervous. Tell everybody who's nervous and faint-hearted to go home. So, you remember how many left? 22,000 left, and he was down to 10,000. You missed a step. We tend to do that. He cut, he cut down to 10,000. He's like, okay, Lord, here we are. And then what did the Lord say to him? You got too many guys. No, 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 no. The, the 22,000 left. We're down to 10,000. Yeah, I know. You've got too many guys, the Lord says. Tell the, I want everybody to go, and he puts them in that test where they go by the, the waters of the river, right? You're either going to get down and get a drink of the water. Some people, they're going to drink on their feet like this. Others are going to get down on their hands and knees. The ones that get on their hands and knees, they're out of here. They're not looking at their surroundings. They're not ready for battle. They go through the test, and what's he end up with? 300 people. This story comes flashing in my mind. And the Lord said to me, I can do more with 300 committed people than I can do with 32,000 people who want it easy. And so I said, okay, Lord. So training is going to be, for those who are interested, we're going to come to church here. We're going to bring a bag lunch because we didn't have fellowship meal every week. We're going to bring a bag lunch so that we don't have to go anywhere, and then we're going out. And we're going to be here, to, and then we're going to come back after that, and we're going to spend time talking about the interests we had and the experiences we had, and we're here till 5 o'clock every Sabbath. And we had a good, probably 25 of our folks came out for that. And one of the ladies, she told me, she said, Pastor, I've been in the church for 20 years warming a pew, and it's just time for me to do something else. I want the Lord to me. And I've watched the Lord work in him. And she ended up giving Bible studies, baptizing her interests and stuff. Uh, it was thrilling. Um, how Jesus didn't start with his 12 disciples. And he would choose people. And how God will take you back to your churches. You may see people like that member of mine. Who has been, you might say, oh, nobody's interested. Oh, they're interested. You've got people in your church 
This, this member, she, when we began to do something, the reason she came is because she saw something happening. And if you go back and you just start working for the Lord, people will see something happening. There will be somebody. My, my pastor Daniel and I, we joke about it sometimes as pastors because sometimes, well, I hate to say it. I'm not, I don't want to be critical of the saints. Um, but sometimes there are just some people who you wonder why they even come. They don't act like they want to be there, you know. And, uh, but there are always people that do. And so we have a saying. You know, when you ever have you cantankerous church members, somebody's mad about this or that, get mad because something happened, there's always one. There's always one. When you find people disinterested and you're disheartened, there's always one. There's somebody in your congregation. There's somebody around. There's somebody who wants to know the truth. There's somebody who wants to respond to it. And there is. There's always one. There's more than one. And in your churches, you may feel, as you get back, you know, some of you maybe already have a lot going on. That's great. But if you don't, there's always one, and the one will become two, and the two will become four, and the four will become eight, and onward, and the Lord's going to move this thing. This is what happened in the early church. So Jesus didn't begin with 12, and even his own disciples, when they went to follow him, they didn't start with him. I mean, they would come and go. Peter was a fisherman. He continued fishing. He didn't, he didn't until what we're reading right here in Luke chapter 5, he had not made his decision to follow Christ. But in Luke chapter 5, they have, we have this experience of the... Uh, of the, when Jesus goes out on the boat, in fact, Peter's been out all night, and you have to understand a little of the background. Jesus has just been rejected, by and large, by the religious leaders in his, um, in his Judean ministry. And the disciples, of course, originally they thought, you know, you got John the Baptist, there's this stir going there, and then Jesus comes, behold the Lamb of God, and they thought this was going to really take off. But it didn't go the way they planned, and now Jesus is, they're trying, one of the religious leaders want to kill him, and they're thinking to themselves, okay, this isn't exactly going as planned. And you have to understand, they're in this, they're on the fence still. They're, you know, Peter's fishing during the day and probably going out here and there with Jesus, but he hasn't committed, he hasn't put in with him 100% yet. And he's thinking about doing that. Well, should I, should I really? And he's counting the cost. Is accounting of the cost when it comes to following Christ because it's, not a, it's an all or nothing to follow Christ. So Peter was thinking about that and, of course, weighing that out. Let's see. Now, at this point, John the Baptist has been imprisoned. It's before his death. He's not been dead yet, but he's in prison. Okay, let's see. Am I going to join Jesus where his forerunner's in prison? The religious leaders are trying to kill him. You know, your future doesn't look real bright here. You understand what's going on. But Peter thinks to himself, at least I have fishing. You know what? I don't have to get stressed out about that. I have a career. I'm a fisherman. I can still fall back on fishing. If all else fails, I can go fishing. So he goes out fishing, and the Bible says he spends all night fishing. Incidentally, that's when fishermen fish with nets because the fish can't see the nets in the dark water, but they can see it in the light, so you fish at night. But the Bible says he went all night and caught nothing. So in the morning, Jesus comes. The crowds are pressing him. He's by the water. Peter's cleaning out the nets with the other guys. Jesus gets into the boat, says, Peter, why don't you launch out a little bit? We'll, we'll, and he teaches from the boat. So the people come up to the shore, but he doesn't get crowded and pressed, and he can teach the people. And when he finishes teaching, he turns to Peter and says, now why don't we go out and catch some fish? Now, Jesus knows what's been going on with Peter. He knows what Peter's going on, what's going on in his mind. And I want you to notice here in chapter 5, Verse 1, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. 
Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to be put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. What's he saying? Why is he doing that? Yeah, I mean, you know, the story doesn't flesh us out. The Bible doesn't flesh it out a lot here for us, but it says he's, he's like, Lord, I mean, he's arguing with Jesus. Hey, let's go out. and No, 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 you don't understand. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman, okay? Let's get this straight. You know wood, you know furniture, you know whatever, but I know fish, and we're not going to catch any fish. That's basically what Peter's telling the Lord. But evidently, the Lord had enough persistence in his look or his tone or his attitude that Peter gives in and says, nevertheless... At your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. You read it elsewhere in the scripture, and it says immediately the nets were full. And the net was breaking, so they signaled to their partners in the what? Other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so they both began to... You'd think the other boat would help it out, right? We get two boats and it'll be enough. No, two boats couldn't hold all the fish they caught like that when he couldn't catch anything all night long. Now, what all of a sudden comes into your mind? Are you thinking about fish now? What is dawning on your mind? I'm in the presence of somebody who is not just a carpenter. He controls the forces of nature. And in that moment, Peter got a glimpse of the glory of Christ. It's that glimpse we get that instills in us that desire to start being witnesses. And in that moment, the Bible says Peter falls on his knees. Verse 8, when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Now, what did he just do? What's he calling him to? Discipleship. Notice what it says in verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they did what? They forsook all and followed him. So they'd been coming and going with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They'd been around Jesus. But they had not committed with Jesus yet. They'd not been in. They'd not, they were not disciples until now. What qualification of discipleship do we see here? From this, what do we learn that is a characteristic of a disciple? Okay. A willingness to forsake all to follow Christ. You can't follow Christ and not forsake all. And forsake all doesn't mean you've got to go live in a box somewhere, but it means nothing else can be your focal point of attention. You can't let something else draw you away. You can't let something else be more important to you, or the devil will always use it to draw you away. The cause of Christ has to be paramount. And when that point came for Peter, you see that... And you're going to see this repeated. I just, so you see it here, and Peter and his buddies, this is now when they first commit themselves to being disciples of Christ. Go a little further, and we find Levi Matthew in verse 27. The Bible says in verse 27, After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, what? What's he asking? 
He's calling him to be a disciple, right? Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and what? So we see the same thing that happened with Peter. What did he do? He left all. He forsook all. In fact, if you go to, is it Luke 14? Go to Luke 14 for a minute. Look at verse 33. Bible says in Luke 14, verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you who does not, what? Forsake all that he has, what? Now, you're going to see this word cannot, and I really want to flesh it out. You may have heard this before, but this is an important word. Um, and I like the illustration I've heard before that if you've, if you've ever had one of those, I guess you'd call them a good English teacher. It could have gotten on your nerves, but they were still a good English teacher. If, if when you had that time in class where you would raise your hand and say, teacher, can I go to the bathroom? If they were a good English teacher, what would they tell you? They'd say something like this, I don't know, can you? Right? <laughs> Because they know that you're using improper English. You're not asking them what they can answer. Well, in fact, and they answered you legitimately. Because if I'm asking, can I, I'm asking about ability. And they're like, I don't know your ability. <laughs> you're going to have to tell me. Can you? And that's to prompt you to ask it the right way. May I? What am I asking when I'm asking may? Permission. Now, I want you to be very clear on this. Jesus does not say, whoever does not forsake all he has may not be my disciple. This is not a permission issue. It's not like, hey, I'm not going to let you if you won't do this. If you are not willing to forsake all, you are unfit. You can't be his disciple because, as I said, that something else, whatever it is, will draw you away. Being a disciple of Christ means he becomes first in everything. We see that with Peter and James and John, we see it with Levi and Matthew. They forsook all. We come here, Jesus makes the point, if, if whoever does not forsake all can't be my disciple. And we have a very clear example in Scripture of somebody who went the other way. We call him the rich young ruler. You remember he ran to see Jesus. The Bible says he ran in the Gospel of Mark. And he said, good teacher, what must I do that I could enter into life? And he said, keep the commandments. He says, which ones? And Jesus named some. He says, all I've done since my youth. What do I lack yet? And Jesus said, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, what? What was he asking him? He called him to discipleship. And what does the Bible tell us about that young ruler? The Bible says he turned away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He wasn't willing to forsake all. It wasn't, it wasn't a little thing. You don't get Jesus saying to the rich and ruler, hey, I'm just kidding about that all thing. I'm being a little bit, you know, it's okay. You can keep some of your riches. In other words, we, we can play around with it and say, well, does all mean all? Evidently it does. And again, that doesn't mean you have to live in a box somewhere. What that means is if God calls, anytime God calls for anything from you. Anybody see that testimony on Sabbath morning of that believer in... Uh, was, was it North Korea? Yeah, North Korea. You know, I mean, that's just not... We like the happy endings. We're just like this person tries to escape, they're captured and executed. But it's okay, because when they gave all to Christ, they gave all. I mean, oh, That's discipleship. And the fact is, when we give all to Christ, we gain all. We gain all. Because her persecutors, Lord willing, they'll be converted and saved. But if not... All they have is this life, but she has eternity. 
So Jesus, you know, the rich young ruler, he went away sorrowful. One of the qualifications of being a disciple is, is being willing to forsake all. And I want to see that in another place in Luke chapter 9. Now, you've read this before. I'm sure you've read it before. If you've heard me teach on this before, then you've heard what I'm about to say. But this is something that I used to look at very differently than I do now. Uh, not that it was in, inherently wrong. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Luke chapter 9, if we look at verse 23. And it's very interesting to me, some of the things Jesus says that are really radical things. In verse 23, it says, then he said to what? Them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, we, the cross is such a generic term today in Christianity. We don't think of it in Christ's day. It's, uh, the cross is just execution. I mean, Jesus himself hadn't gone to the cross yet. The cross is the electric chair. Take up your cross. I mean, you here taking up your cross, that means, you, that means somebody's execution. It just isn't the kind of language you, you it's not the crowd-pleasing sermon you want, you know. He said to them all, Jesus didn't care about having big crowds and keeping them. He often said things that thinned the crowd. Because he wanted those genuine disciples. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? It was Mark Finley who, was, who made this point. I'd never thought of it before. You know, because I think about, I, I'm sure I think about this the way that many of us have thought about it. When Jesus said, deny yourself, if anybody's going to come after me, he's got to deny himself. What does that communicate right away? What does that mean? You're going to follow Jesus. What does it mean? In practical terms. Deny yourself. What did it mean to you when you became a Christian? Changing your life how? I got to stop drinking that stuff. I probably shouldn't be watching that stuff. Yes or no? I mean, they're just den denying yourself. I'm saying no to myself and the things that I previously have said yes to. So Mark Finley put it this way, because see, we're talking about being a disciple. The very first thing he says is, if anyone will come after me, follow me, right? Remember, we talk about a disciple, somebody who follows the teacher to be like the teacher. So whatever he's talking about coming after me is something he did. I'm just following it. And so Finley asked this question, what, you know, we, we look at denying yourself and we say, well, that's, you know, that's basically giving up those bad things that come in the way of us in Christ so we can be saved. And so he asked this question, what bad things did Jesus give up so he could be saved? Everything. Nothing bad. <laughs> that's right. What bad things did Jesus give up? Because I'm following him. Well, he, <laughs> that's kind of a stupid question. Jesus didn't have bad things to give up. Did he give up anything? He gave up everything. Everything what? Everything good. So Jesus didn't give up bad things so he could be saved. Jesus gave up good things so others could be saved. Hmm. Jesus gave up good things so others could be saved. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Again, what, is, what does that mean, to take up the cross? Where is a cross taken in Jesus' day? You don't find somebody in the marketplace carrying a cross around with them. Oh, I just got this old thing. 
I'm just getting, hey, are those uh, kumquats for sale? I mean, you're not carrying a cross in the marketplace. Where are you carrying the cross? Where's the only place that that would apply? His hearers, when they heard take up the cross, that communicated what? They're going to that place where that cross is put in there. You're hung on the cross. And whose cross did he say? No. Take up what? Your cross. What does that mean? Whose execution is it? <laughs> Yours. If you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself and you've got to die. That's what he said. Take up your cross. Now again, this is discipleship. I'm not doing something new. I'm only doing what he already did because I'm following him. Where did Jesus take his cross? To his death. For what purpose? Jesus took up his cross to lay down his life so others could be saved. Now put these together. He denied himself good things so others could be saved. He laid down even his life so others can be saved. And he said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be willing to do the same. You've got to be willing even to give up good things. Oh, but Lord, I know you want me to be a missionary in China, but I'm going to college and I've got a plan to be going to medical school and everything's going well and I'm in my second year and, already, and they made an appeal at some camp meeting and now I've got to, I, what am I going to do? Are you willing to give up even good things? That's discipleship. That's Christianity. So let me ask you a question. Are we making disciples in the church today? Or are we making members? Are we ourselves disciples in the church today? Not one stone is going to be left upon another, I told you. We are just radically off from where this thing started. You go to the early disciples... Every one but one was martyred. And the only one that wasn't martyred was John, and it wasn't because they didn't try. We're told that they threw John in a vat of boiling oil, but they couldn't boil him. Hallelujah. What do you do with a guy you can't kill? Put him on Patmos and let him mine rock for the temples of the pagan gods. Okay, he says, but I'm not working on Sabbath. Well, what are we going to do to him? He gets his Sabbath off. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord came to him and gave him that vision of revelation. But every one of them was willing to lay down their life. It was a foregone conclusion. Peter wouldn't even be crucified right side up. He had to be crucified upside down because he wouldn't, wouldn't allow himself to be honored like his master was. But at the core of it, at the core of it, it's a willingness to lay down our lives for the salvation of others. Want to sing? <laughs> that catchy Pathfinder tune. Let me, now let me introduce one other thought, and then we're going to take a break. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Christ Jesus, the Savior. Okay. I got to kind of wait for that to be done. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. There's one other text I want you to look at here in this context. It's in Luke 19. Again, we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about emulation. We're talking about, again, a disciple wants to be like the master. How would we describe, how would we define, how would we sum up the life of Jesus? Luke 19 and verse 10. And this is the end of the story of Zacchaeus. And a verse that most of us are familiar with here. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to what? Seek and save that which was 
laws. Now, let me just ask you this question. Is this, not that this is the only one, but is the, if you were to summarize the whole of Jesus' life and ministry, would this text be sufficient to do it yes. in principle? I mean, there are details left out, but yes. is there anything that Je any time Jesus wasn't about seeking and saving the lost? Even now, is there any time of the day where Jesus is like, look, I just need to go put my feet up somewhere and read a good book and I'll get back to this. That's ridiculous to say it, isn't it? I mean, there is no time that neither the Son or the Father or the Holy Spirit or the angels of God in heaven, for that matter, are interested in anything else. It's, fa it's just fascinating. I mean, I did, uh, it's overwhelming to think that. We are so busy with so many things. Lord, I can't go witness today because. But the whole universe, with the whole universe to run, is focused on one thing, your salvation. Salvation of others. Okay, so we could, you know, uh, where's the, the other passage in Matthew where the Bible says, Jesus says, the Son of Man uh, did not come to, to uh, be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's another good one. Another the text that could be used. But that's the sum and substance of Jesus' life, right? Now, as a disciple, if I'm calling myself a follower of Jesus, what sense does it make for me not to be interested in witnessing? Like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, yeah, you want to go witnessing? Well, I'm not into that. I've given this example before. There was a, I don't watch a lot of, a lot of sports. It's been a while. I never really was big into basketball, but there are some names I know, like Michael Jordan. Most people know Michael Jordan if they weren't into basketball, because he's this great basketball player. And in fact, when I was uh, in my early 20s, I guess it was, when Mike, Michael Jordan was really big, and, and a lot of young kids, in fact, they even had a song, To Be Like Mike. Anybody remember the song, To Be Like Mike? If I could be like Mike? Boy, I guess I'm really out there, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I want to be like Michael, amen. So, um, but anyway, you know, kids want to be like Michael Jordan. He's this great basketball hero. Now imagine, now, and because of that, of course, these sports figures, they get into their marketing of things. So you had the Air, anybody, anybody ever hear of an Air Jordan, Nike shoe, Air Jordan? It's because it was Michael Jordan's signature shoe. So there were certain things that number 23 was a number for Chicago Bulls. So, you know, you get these young kids, and they're wanting to be like Michael Jordan, and they're getting the Nike Airs, right? And they're getting the Air Jordans, and, and they're, they're getting their jerseys with the 23 on them, and you know other things, to be like Mike. I just want you to imagine for a minute some kid who wants to be like Mike, and he's got his shoes, and he's got his jersey, you know, so he can look like Mike, and, and, and uh, you know, watches the games and has posters, but he doesn't like basketball. <laughs> Hates basketball. Hates it. Would that make any sense to have a personal hero whose whole substance of life is something you hate? Or you're, or, or you're just not interested in it? Yeah, I love Michael Jordan. Hey, hey basketball, right? No, I hate basketball. Oh, I'm not interested in basketball. What sense does it make for me to call myself a disciple of Jesus Christ if I am not interested in winning souls? None. None. But this is where we are. We have our churches full of so-called disciples who, oh, I'm just not interested in that. That's not my gift. It's not my thing. No, I'm sorry. That's impossible. 
The wake-up call for you is if that's where you are, you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ according to Scripture. See, we've got to come to terms with the reality of discipleship. And then Ellen White says, if we don't have that passion for souls in our heart, we need to pray for the spirit of service in ourselves. Listen to this statement. I'm going to share with you a couple statements, and we're going to take a, take a break. And I apologize for not having these in front of you, but I'm going to give you the references. Christian Service, page 58. Ellen White says this, It is evident that all the sermons that have been preached have not developed a large class of self-denying workers. Now, what do you think she means by self-denying worker? Disciples. She's saying, we preach and preach and preach, but the preaching isn't doing it. It's not developing disciples. We're not seeing the disciples in our churches. She says, this subject is to be considered as involving the most serious results. Our future for eternity is at stake. The churches are withering up because they have failed to use their talents in diffusing light. Careful instruction should be given, which will be as lessons from the master that they may put their light to practical use. God is telling us we need more disciples in our churches. The great commission that Jesus gave, the great commission that needs to be carried forward is not nearly done. Especially if, if what I just shared is discipleship. is like, well, wow, I hadn't now thought about that as a disciple. Well, then how are we going to be making those kind of disciples if we don't even think about that? And that's where our church is today. So listen to what this says in the book of uh, Christ's Object Lessons, page 57. It says, at the very outset of the Christian life, when, when is that? What would we say? The very beginning, when a person just becomes a Christian, might even be before their baptism. You know, they haven't been baptized yet, but they, once a person is committed to Christ and they consider themselves a Christian at the very outset, every believer, how many? Every. every believer should be taught its foundation principles. These are the foundation principles of Christianity. He should be taught that he is not merely to be saved by Christ's sacrifice, but that he is to make the life of Christ his life and the character of Christ his character. Let all be taught that they are to bear burdens and deny natural inclination. Now, inclination, the word incline means to lean. It's your leanings, what you lean towards, what you like to do. Well, you know, how many times is the church, don't raise your hands for this, has the church maybe done some kind of outreach project and you're just like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really feel that today. I think I'm just going to go home and, you know, that's what I want to do. Uh, so, you know, that's natural for us sometimes to want to do one thing, but we're to deny that. That's what Jesus meant, again, by denying ourselves like he denied himself. They're to bear burdens and to deny natural inclination. Let them learn the blessedness of working for Christ, following him in self-denial, and enduring hardness as good soldiers. Let them learn to trust his love and to cast on him their cares, let them taste the joy of winning souls for him. In their love and interest for the lost, they will lose sight of self. Has anybody here come to this, start to come to this understanding? This has only been recent for me. I hate to admit it's taken so much of my life. To start to realize, did they just turn that up? Oh, I was going to be like, all right. Go tell us. 
I was going to say, Taylor, go tell them. Look at the camera. Terry, next time you pull this. Okay, <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I have to go back to my spot. Yeah, they lose sight of self. Yeah, I've come to the point in my life where I realize that focusing on self doesn't ever make you happy. It makes you miserable. Like, you know, you think that if I just spend more me time. Have you ever heard this as a thing today now? Me time. And, or something my, my niece had told me. She just took a day for some... I forget the word, the phrase she used it, but this kind of a thing now. You've got to have some time for yourself. And I'm not, I'm not knocking quiet time, okay? But what I'm saying is, when you pursue always trying, I think I'll be happy if I do this thing and this thing, always making yourself happy, I'm just beginning to learn that it doesn't make you happy. It's really in serving others, and that's what the Lord, the Lord's always known this. The Lord doesn't tell us don't do this and do this instead because he's trying to mess our lives up. We're telling him on the one hand, Lord, please, I want to be happy. And he's like, I'm trying to make you happy. And you keep telling me no, you know. <laughs> and so he says, go do this. Deny yourself. Let them learn to trust his love and to cast on him their cares. Let them taste the joy of winning souls for him. In their love and interest for the lost, they will lose sight of self. The pleasures of the world will lose their power to attract and its burdens to dishearten. The plowshare of truth will do its work. It will break up the fallow ground. It will not merely cut off the tops of the thorns, but will take them out by the roots, out of our hearts. And so this work that the Lord has given us and this call to discipleship is not just something for Him, it's for us. And it's going to bring us the joy that we say we want and that the Lord so wants to give us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.